tell your friends the Mark and Max show is back and better than ever. Oh, yeah. LifeRadio.fm. It is the Mark and Mac show, and it is the day a rattlesnake was found in a ball dispenser. <laughs> Sometimes, Mark, you see things and you think, wait a minute. I always thought I was kind of snake bit on the golf course, but mm-hmm. this takes it a little too far. Yeah, uh, an, Arizona, an Arizona reptile wrangler was summoned to a golf driving range to remove a rattlesnake that found its way into a ball dispenser. The snake relocation team posted a video to YouTube showing what happened when a snake wrangler named Marissa Mackey was summoned to the Top Golf location in Scottsdale. The video shows Mackey being directed by Top Golf employees to a ball dispenser machine where a loud rattling sound could be heard. The reptile <laughs> wrangler was able to use her tongs to safely ensnare the western diamondback rattlesnake and place it into a bucket for uh, for safe relocation to a less inhabited area quote i've actually gotten a rattlesnake at this same top golf before and co-workers of mine have removed the same as uh, some as well it's surrounded by desert so you're in their habitat <laughs> i wouldn't say it's an unusual place to find one well it would be an unusual place for me to go practice golf because <laughs> the first time i had a rattlesnake in my bucket would be the last time i went there i think that's all I was thinking. Yeah. I mean, really? This is what we're doing nowadays is we're trying to, yeah, uh, I've had a lot of things put me off the golf game, but rattlesnakes was not one of them. <laughs> LiveRadio.fm. It's the Mark and Mac show. You know, Mark, during, I'm um, watching the big bang theory back you know several years ago and and now of course i guess it's still on tbs every night right um i don't know i don't either but anyway (laughs) there was always something funny running through that store the show because i never quite understood it because i'm not an intellectual you know i'm not a smart person like that and uh they would uh leonard sheldon would crack on leonard because Mm -hmm. leonard was an experimental physicist and it seemed like no matter what he was working on he was working to duplicate the results of another you know, team or somebody in right, Italy yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And, and he was getting mocked for that, you know, great. So no original work. And, uh, that's what I think about when I see stories like this. Okay. A mini boat built by Rhode Island students makes its way to England. Mm-hmm. Well, we've already done this. I mean, how many times do we have to keep crossing the ocean? You know, I mean, <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, I'm with I mean, you. Yeah, yeah. Ocean liners do it every day. People, yes. we've had stories in the last year about a couple of different people who have soloed, you know, yes. in their own little As a matter of fact, you know, right? Yeah. You really want to have fun? Go read a book about Thor Heyerdahl. That's okay? right. Content. There you go. Yes. Um, right. Here uh, we go. <laughs> so, uh, but this is a mini boat made by students at some Rhode Island schools. Uh, they yes. put it in the Atlantic Ocean. And 10 months later, it washed up on a beach in Britain. The boat, which was called Inspiration, was made by students at Central Falls High School, Veterans Memorial Elementary, and Races Dual Language Academy, all schools located in Central Falls. The boat. (laughs) Can you see this meeting, Mark, where you've got a senior in high school Uh who actually is really smart? And there's some second grader that's like Sheldon telling him what to do, and he's going, dude, stop, you know? (laughs) 
<laughs> and the one kid who keeps not... <laughs> one who keeps raising her hand and says, "Where are we going to put oh. the unicorn?" Um, but oh, <laughs> the boat was made seaworthy by the elementary students, and instruments, including GPS trackers, were installed by the high school students. The project was organized by the University of Rhode Island Graduate School of Oceanography to help teach kids about the ocean. Andrea uh, Gingris, or Gingris, Assistant Director of Public Engagement um, at the URIGSO, told uh, WPRI-TV, this boat was almost a message in a bottle. No, I'm not playing the song. It had lots of information about Central Falls and about the schools and the children that helped build it. The miniboat was placed into the Atlantic Ocean on March um, in March, a hundred miles off the Rhode Island coast by the RV Endeavor, the University of Rhode Island's research vessel. The small vessel sails, it was sail-powered, carried it across the ocean in 10 months, and in November it was found on a beach in Christchurch, England. Instructions included aboard the boat instructed the finders to bring it to a nearby school, which turned out to be the Tiptoe Primary School in Lymington. The students who built the boat were able to video chat with a Tiptoe class uh, last Thursday in the morning wow. to talk about the project. Now, I think that's cute. Yeah. Okay. I do. Cool. Yeah. Yep. It's a decent project. Yeah. But again, ain't like we haven't done it. <laughs> you know? I mean, <laughs> well, a lot of science is replicating prior, uh, prior experiments, yeah. you know, that's. So we're teaching is. children at a very early age from kindergarten all through 12th grade. You don't have to do original work. Just copy what's been done before, and we'll get we'll get stuff worldwide. Okay, no worries. We got you. And if they minute. don't do it, we'll play the we'll play the blame game. You know? Well, this was a mini boat, so does that make it sort of the Cliff's Notes of boats? No, that's exactly what it was. Actually, you know what? It's a piece of balsa wood with a hanky. <laughs> liferadio.fm it's the mark and mac show and you know mark we haven't done a story from australia in a while so why not as long as we can because oftentimes we look at that country or i do and i know i'm wrong but when we met rebecca st james Mm -hmm. um i used to look at australia and you know they speak english right um the cities look very similar to america i mean you look it just kind of looks like a great Mm -hmm. place to vacation but then you find out that the population is such that if you're a christian in your neighborhood, you're right. the only one. Yeah. I mean, it's a very, very small uh, percentage of people are Christians, which yep. boggles my mind, you know, because yeah. I look at it and go, they look like us, you know, <laughs> and it's just what's wrong kind of thing. But, right. You yes. know, mm-hmm. and then you think about Hillsong and, and uh, you know, what came out of there in terms of praise and worship. And it just rocks my boat every time when right. I think about that. Yeah. And anyway. That's well, so. When I think of Australia, now that's what I do think about. Well, this is kind of a twofer. It is uh, okay. It is an Australia story. Yes. Okay. Yeah. It is. It is. It is also <laughs> a Guinness record story. It's, it's, it's a major award. Shucks, I wouldn't know that. It looks like a lamb. Not bad for two things on the same fader. An Australian woman broke a Guinness World Record by running a 26.2-mile marathon distance every day for 107 days. And she's planning to keep going until she hits 150. Erkana Murray Bartlett, she's 32, began her daily marathon running routine in August in Cape York, Queensland. And 107 days later, December 3rd, she broke the Guinness World Record for the most consecutive days to run a marathon distance female. 
category. The previous record of 106 marathons was set earlier this year by British runner Kate Jaden. I think we actually talked about that. Murray Mm -hmm. Bartlett calls her project Tip to Toe 2022 as she began running in Cape York, known as Australia's Northern Tip, and plans to finish her 150th marathon run in Port Melbourne, Victoria, known as the country's Southern Toe. She says, my (laughs) hips, feet, legs, and back ache. I feel a little bit emotionally exhausted, too, after reaching the record last Sunday. The challenge is now to just keep going, and I'm excited to see what my body can do. (laughs) It's going to fall apart is what it's going to do. Okay, just (laughs) saying. Good grief, man. I'm ready to call (laughs) it a day right now. I mean, (laughs) I get get it. I I, I do think it's neat to push yourself to be excellent, to do amazing. I do. I have no problem with it. Right. But I will tell you, if you have your choice between looking at what running does to your body versus, say, biking, Mm -hmm. I'm taking the bike, you know? (laughs) Running has never been a fave of Dave, I'll tell you that. Wow. Mainly because I'm clumsy. I remember, I rem- oh, Mark, I remember during sports, you know, having to run laps around the track for whatever reason. Yep. And oftentimes had to run the laps because I said something wrong to somebody, you know, on my team. <laughs> Imagine they weren't that. doing what they're supposed to do. <laughs> and coach would make me run laps. I'm like, oh, yeah, like that's going to help. You know, I can't mm-hmm. run. On a good day, I don't run very fast. On, right. And now you're making me more tired? Yeah, let's do that. Yep. So I'm running laps, and I would trip on a rock, okay? <laughs> when I had a little rock. Yes. Little. And I'd get hurt. I actually had arthroscopic surgery on my knee when it was experimental. Oh. Three days after surgery, they had us out working out, jogging. Wow. And what happened in an indoor track? In an indoor track, Mark, yeah. there was a little pebble. And I saw it, you know, as I'm running. <laughs> I saw it, but I couldn't avoid it. And <laughs> I hit this little pebble and crushed. That was it. My knee gave. I. Oh, it was man. horrible horrible so whenever you talk about running a marathon i'm thinking fine great that's why god made cars Mm -hmm. i I, you know she's talking about running on track she's got to be doing this outdoor i got she has to be outdoors my my favorite exercise equipment is an indoor piece uh, manufactured by a corporation called barca lounger liferadio.fm the mark and mac show where we both have had times in our in our home life where all of a sudden the power went out and we immediately thought it was sammy the squirrel you know he usually helps us on the golf course but no now he's knocking power we have that happen here Mm. i mean it's not an uncommon occurrence for you to have a power outage in your neighborhood because a squirrel got in and monkeyed up the works yep squirrels so when i see a story about i know i apologize when i see a story about iguanas in florida i think the same thing they're like that they're iguanas in florida have taken over yeah they really have they look like miniature dinosaurs though they're just so cool i can't imagine killing them Mm -hmm. but there's so many of them yep i I remember old black and white uh, science fiction movies where the iguanas the giant iguanas were the monsters the sci-fi monster dinosaur things yeah and you know we've had these stories about them uh where there's such a there's such a nuisance now that when it gets cold and by cold i mean the rare occasion it drops into the thirties in yeah. Southern Florida. Uh, they, they just kind of seize up and fall off the limbs of the trees. They're on <laughs> like, right. they, they can't hold on anymore. <laughs> You're walking through the park. What happened to you, sir? I think it was an iguana falling from a tree, but uh, officials in a Florida city said a large scale outage for power customers was caused by an iguana that wandered into a substation. The city of Lake Worth Beach said on Twitter that the city's power company, Lake Worth Beach Electric Utility, dispatched repair crews Wednesday to tackle a large-scale outage. 
The city said the outage was caused by an iguana that wandered into the 6th Avenue substation and came into contact with equipment. The city's outage tracking map confirmed power was restored later in the day. Green iguanas, they're native to Central America, South America, and some Caribbean islands, are considered an invasive species in Florida. (laughs) There are actually companies whose entire business is just dealing with iguanas now. I get it. Yeah. I, every time I watch shows, you know, you know, Braylon and LaDonna watch shows on YouTube, the, you know, outdoor, the, all kinds of young people who do things with animals, right, usually yeah. trapping and moving them, things like that. Yeah. And they're fascinating. And I'm, I'm thankful that we have young people that are out filming these things, you know, of how to safely remove different, you know, things from your home and, and right. surrounding areas. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm thankful because I think showing it done properly, making a call to a company that needs to come out to remove such and such from your home is great. Mm-hmm. It's a, I just, I think that's a great thing to ingrain early. However, <laughs> every time there's a Florida story about iguanas, it's kind of like you can tell the people that are really frustrated, man, yeah. that they've really become an invasive species that people are not going to start. They're not going to follow the directions anymore. They're going to start. <laughs> that one's 10 points. If you nail him in the road, you know, that's what they're going to start doing. <laughs> liferadio.fm the mark and mac show and you know mark we have had really moderate weather over the last couple of weeks in alabama at least in our part of alabama right you know i don't know what it's like in northern areas and southern areas i just know right in central to you know we've had a good time um like when i had the plumbing nightmare last week yeah i was able to work on it in 70 degree weather that's not common for us this time of year no 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 it doesn't get you know it's not like we're in the 20s or the teens but you know it yeah. usually is a little chilly at Christmas time. Yeah. At least people <laughs> and, are wearing sweaters and jackets and things like that. It yeah. hasn't been that way the last few weeks. No, one day working on my plumbing stuff last week outside, I actually um, had shorts on and had because I was going to be raw, you know, wall around in mud and stuff. I had to go put long pants on and start right. sweating. Yeah. You know, that's how it's been. Yeah. So anyway, I remember as a kid um, being in Southern California. We always knew we could drive up to Big Bear and be in snow during the mm-hmm. winter time, yeah. and we always knew we could go to the Pacific Ocean. You know, and, and I told you before that we did have that one time where we did that, and it's just something that you know you can do, so you do it. Yeah, you, it, just once. But I think about what it must be like to grow up in an area where it just doesn't get cold. You know, like what mm-hmm. we have again at Christmas time. It does get cold enough here that you do have to have a sweater as you're on the way to Grandma's house. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, but. In Florida, they don't have it like that, do they? No. I've never lived there, so I, I'm just no. kind of going on an yeah, assumption that not, because of where it's located. It's very rare, especially uh, yeah. especially southern Florida. Now, in the Panhandle, right. that's might as well be Alabama. So, right, you know they they do have a they do have cold there. I mean, I I I remember going riding around with my dad and my stepmother one time down in Pensacola, and and looking at all of the yards where they had just turned on the sprinklers and everything during a freeze. And all of the trees and everything were covered with ice. You know, it was so rare. They said, let's have fun with it. So they just, they just, they did, you know? Okay. And, uh, but, and then I have, uh, I've have friends who live down further South, uh, in the Orlando area who, um, complain when it gets into the forties, you know, they talk like an Arctic wave has come through, (laughs) you know, it's just crazy. (laughs) But then at at the same time, a few years ago, when I say a few, seven or eight years ago, I went on that cruise, Mm -hmm. you know, my mom said, Hey, uh, my stepdad couldn't go with her because of a previous obligation. Hey, you want to go on a cruise with me? So I went, I went with her and we were there. We were in 
the Southern Caribbean off the coast of uh, South America in uh, late November. It was it was Thanksgiving. That's when when it was. It was around Thanksgiving, and it was really strange to step out onto the uh, out to the railing of the ship and look into a port and see palm trees and people walking around in shorts and flip-flops and t-shirts <laughs> and inflatable Santas. And <laughs> it was really strange because it's in the, it's in the mid to upper eighties, but it's Christmas, you know, <laughs> that's weird, but we're going to have some nice weather, uh, for Christmas. Uh, James Spann is predicting we're going to be in the twenties. Um, Mm. Let's see the twenties for, let's see the 23rd, 20 and the 24th. It'll be into the mid thirties by the, by Christmas day, but, uh, it's going to be cold a couple of days leading up to Christmas day. Well, that figures cause I was <laughs> just getting used to having 70 degree temperatures in December. Mm. <laughs> LifeRadio.fm, the Mark and Mac show, you know, a few minutes ago when we were talking about the weather. I actually was, it was, the reason was um, we had the story about Florida and the iguanas. Yeah. And then we had another Florida story about archaeologists. And that's what kind of made me start thinking oh, about, you. you know, the yeah. different places and all that. And it's really cool, though. We've mentioned this before. Mentioned it one last time. Well, not one last. But in Alabama, we do have all four seasons. Just sometimes they happen in the same week, you know. <laughs> so sometimes. anyway, here we go to Florida and the uh, an update on yeah. a real big mystery. Yeah, we had a story a week or so ago about this big object, a wooden object that was partially unearthed by uh, hurricane erosion on a beach in Florida. It appears to be a shipwreck from the 1800s. That's what the archaeologists who inspected the site say. Chuck Mead, he's the director of the Lighthouse Archaeological Maritime Program from the St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum, said after he and 10 Florida archaeologists removed sand from this 80-foot-long structure in Daytona Beach Shores, said this is definitely a ship, and that's just because of the construction of it. You can see these timbers sticking up. Those are massive, and the way they're arranged, that's, that's how you build a ship. The wooden structure was discovered last month following heavy erosion from uh, hurricanes Ian and Nicole, and uh, they Tuesday they decided on what this was. And at the time the wood debris was discovered, residents and local officials thought the structure was part of an old boat or an old dock. When I looked at it, I that's thought that's what you and I thought. That's, that's what it looked like to me was an old dock. Yeah. Um, and Christopher McCarran, he's an archaeology administrative director and uh, the vessel captain of the St. Augustine Maritime Program, says, uh, imagine as many Amazon trucks that you see on the roads today. This was the uh, equivalent back in the 1800s. <laughs> on Tuesday, the, the team of Florida archaeologists uh, say they believe the ship is fairly intact. Hmm. Well, Okay, fairly intact to an archaeologist must be different than fairly intact to you and me because they didn't know what it was, you right, know? Right. And fairly yeah. intact to me means it. I can tell you what it is. Mm -hmm. you know? So there you go. This is kind of like looking up something on the marketplace that says it's great condition, and you find out it does, but it doesn't have a motor, you know? Ran <laughs> like when, new. Ran when parked. <laughs> right, eight years ago. And yeah. before we took the motor out of it. Yeah. <laughs> LifeRadio.fm, the Mark and Mac show. And, you know, Mark, we have had our share of uh, overdue library book stories here in the U.S. Right. And you have pointed out many times that, you know, many libraries have, you know, discontinued charging late fees. Yeah. So when people don't bring them, they just don't charge them, which I is why some books are gone for 30 or 40 years, I, I guess. I think they all have. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, anyway, I thought we were the only country that was stupid. Okay, I did. I didn't know that other countries were equally weird like us. And now we head back to Australia, our second story from Australia today. Yep. A school in Queensland, Australia, said a book recently returned to its library was found to be nearly 120 years overdue. Toowoomba Grammar School said in an Instagram post that the book, a copy of Great Expectations by Charles Dickens, uh, Dickens, was recently returned to the school's library by a man named John Lamb. Lamb's grandfather, Arthur Lamb, had been a student at the facility during the 1902-03 school year and had checked the book out of the library in 1903. (laughs) The post says the book was discovered recently by family members in a box of various possessions and is in excellent condition. Lamb (laughs) kindly returned it to the school for display 120 years overdue. (laughs) Huge thanks to the the Lamb family. So if you don't charge an overdue fee, why is there even an overdue term? You know, I know. Bring it back when you feel like it. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. I am kind of tripping out, though. Think about it. You've got a kid. In the 1902-1903 school year, okay, a young boy who was able to, they said the book was discovered, you know, and and in excellent condition. That means this kid kept up with this book when he was a kid. (laughs) And then as, you know, did he have it like on display in his house saying, you know, the, the, maybe this guy became like a world known renowned criminal under a different name. And this was his first thievery, you know, and he's got it in there saying, Kind of like how some businessmen like frame their first dollar. Mm-hmm. He was framing his first, you know, book theft. <laughs> Had it shadow boxed on the wall. Yeah. He got special lights pointing to it. <laughs> Decorates the right whole next room to the around the first it. pair of handcuffs that he ever had on, you know, jewelry, <laughs> things like that. Now we're on to something. Uh huh. The Mark and Mac Show. liferadio.fm the mark and mac show it's good to have you with us today and i want to make one quick statement mark mm-hmm. we have had a couple of stories today about people doing something that is supposedly very healthy but i think it causes early death <laughs> just jogging you know and finding uh, yeah, yeah. ways to do it because here's a story about a virginia dad who pushes four kids in a stroller yeah <laughs> while running a 10k <laughs> What are you nuts? I don't know. <laughs> Steven Christopher, he's an active duty Air Force pilot from Sterling. Um, he participated in the Run the Greenway race while pushing a four seat stroller containing his four year old, two year old, and two 10 month old children. Christopher wow. finished it with a time of 48 minutes and one second, becoming the first Guinness World Record holder in the category of fastest 10K. That's 6.2 miles, pushing a quadruple uh, pram uh, in the male category. And since it's a Guinness World Record, we have to do this. It's a major award. <laughs> Shucks, I wouldn't have known, Dad. It looks like a lamb. He says the real challenge and why I think it's a Guinness World Record is running while pushing a stroller with four kids that are in there for a long time and having to make them happy. <laughs> and with and, and with include okay with, mark yes that did not occur to me that did not occur to me i i i was thinking of this every which way of how, you know the strength the what it would take to do it but yes. i didn't think about the children becoming bored mm-hmm. oh are we there God. yet are we there yet oh. <laughs> sit down 
He also says weather is a factor. All those challenges, uh, because I think the cha- that that changes the game completely. And he's right; it does. Christopher said he was inspired to pursue the record after previously running a half marathon while pushing his oldest child in a stroller. He hmm. says a lot of people think the running piece is the hard part, but that's not the hard part. The hard part is actually the logistics of the kiddos, because making them happy is far more difficult than running ten kilometers. My word! Yeah. You know that is just that is amazing because you know you know you've got you've got one kid that wants to nap, you've mm-hmm. got another kid that wants to run with you, and mm-hmm. you've got the other two that are just picking on one another he wiped the finger he's, he's on me touching me you know? he's touching me yes. <laughs> he breathes on me you know that's what i mean bless his heart <laughs> life radio.fm the mark and mag show just kind of ticking off the days until it's break time, you know, mm-hmm. and which I believe will be the 23rd. You know, we'll we'll be here for Festivus because Mark has to lead the ceremonies for the uh, you know day, right. get everybody ready. But then I think after that, we're done for the year, right? Can mm-hmm. we do that? I think we may. Can we call that? We might do it even earlier. <laughs> I, I was thinking, why do let's move Festivus up, can't we? I mean, it's made up everything, so we'll move Festivus it with is, Kwanzaa, yeah. and there you go. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I want to make up my own holiday to go Trust along me, with you, this. You don't want to combine Festivus and Kwanzaa. You just don't no. want to because Mm-mm. you don't want. No, <laughs> you just <laughs> the the violence. Um, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> oh, the humanity. <laughs> it could get ugly. I'm just saying. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, All right. I mean, the guy who came well, up with Kwanzaa was known for beating people with electrical cords. Let's not give him a pole, okay? Well, that's um, what I was thinking. We, yeah. it, but it's kind of like creating a sport with the tetherball now. You know, you got the Kwanzaa <laughs> guy with the cord. You got, you know, Seinfeld all, or all uh, George Costanza's dad with the pole. Boom. Well, you know what? All you need and is, we'll get the Wilson. All you need we is Wilson. Wilson. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. All you need is Wilson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a little face on it, and there you go. <laughs> wow. Life Radio.fm. It's the Mark and Mac show. And, you know, as we are getting towards the end of the year, kids will be out of school, I think. And then, you know, I think tomorrow will be it for them. Hmm. Um, I, when we were kids, we, we got off. Uh, it seems to me that we were out of school for a, a fairly long period of time during Christmas, New Year's, you know. Yeah. Um, they, I don't think it's any different now than it was then. They just get more of these, you know. They have yeah. way more days off, but the school year runs a little longer. I think it's good for the kids, to be honest with you. Yeah. I just remember how much we looked forward to those holidays, man. <laughs> and it was just, oh. But yeah. I, I'm I, thinking about it now, and it's like, I just, uh, like, well, any way you look at it, it's a great time of the year. You know, mm-hmm. um, as we're, you know, winding down uh, this one year and looking forward to the future, and it, for whatever reason, we use it as a marker, you know, for right. setting that uh, New Year's resolution, um, which it's like the ultimate in procrastination because I'll, I'll set that when I get to the new year, that will be my new year's resolution. You know, yes. Oh, dad, it's June. You know, I mean, it's yeah, that'll be my new year's. Re- uh-huh. Well, that was your new year's resolution last year. Well, I'm going to try it again next year. You know, I mean, it is procrastination holiday. Dude. <laughs> That's so, it, yeah. Anyway, I was kind of thinking about that, you know, with each year, um, you know, every year we have these wonderful times with family and friends. And then, you start realizing how many more of these do I have left in my bag? Okay. 
how many more based on your age today? How many more of these do you have? Because your family on your mother's side, you, you know, they live a long time. Oh yeah, they know? do. Yeah. My and dad, we're my not uncle. talking about people who yeah. just are laying down in a bed somewhere and won't die. We're talking about hopping in the car and driving hours away yeah. to visit, yeah. you know, um, a brother who is, you know, it's, it's in the hospital. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I have an 80, 84 year old uncle in the hospital. And, uh, and, uh, by the way, thanks for your prayers. I appreciate that. The, the he's, he, he was in intensive care for about a day and back out again in his, in a regular room. But, uh, and then she's driving to Huntsville at yeah. 88, she's 88. She's hopping in yeah. her car. And when I say hopping, come on, give me a break. Yeah. Uh, she's getting mm-hmm. in her car and driving all the way to Huntsville. And, right. and so I drove her the other day and then, right. um, and then I drove her home and then I get a message yesterday morning uh, around seven thirty, saying, Hey, I'm in Huntsville. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> she's already gotten up and driven to Huntsville and, she's, wow. and she has house guests and right. she has, and that's another thing. <laughs> she has house guests <laughs> from another country, right. <laughs> friends from Canada. <laughs> 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 that have come to see her and she's in Huntsville. Um, right. And then left him a note. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll she, be saw, back she, later, saw him, she saw him when they got up yawning for breakfast. Hey, I'll, I'm, I'll see you later. And, <laughs> and then she spent the night in Huntsville. So she's got house Love guests it. and she wasn't even there last night. Wow. But, but anyway, think about this, yeah. Mark, your mother is 88 years yes. old and <laughs> it's like, she's getting in her car and driving. And yep. I'm guessing she's not hunched over the steering wheel with no. the right blinker on the whole no. way. No, she's not. She's not, she does have me do things like check her tires and stuff like that, but, right. but she's, I mean, she's driving, hmm. she's plugging That's along. Just awesome. Yeah. And the, she doesn't, I mean, the, it, the being on the, on the highway with semis doesn't bother her, but when it starts getting nasty with the rain and everything, yeah. she, yeah. that's what it was yesterday. It started getting nasty. And she said, eh, I'm getting a hotel room. <laughs> so Smart. So she stayed there. Right. Well, you drive, <laughs> you know, in our state, if you drive from 65 from Huntsville to the Birmingham market. Mm-hmm. It is, it's not like the Autobahn in nope. Germany, but it's close because, yeah. you know, you're driving the speed limit and even if they're doing construction and there's one lane, you've got some guy that's tailgating you, hitting his horn and flashing yeah, his lights. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, it's I'm crazy. just, the thing is when you look at your family, you know, and you've got these, you're talking blood relatives that live very active, wonderful lives into their senior years. Mine I'll die before they hit 60. Okay. <laughs> so when I was in my twenties and thirties, I thought, well, you know what? I'm not going to make it to 55 or 60. So, right, yeah. you know, I kind of planned it that way. And now there are certain things I really regret about that kind of lack of planning. You know, <laughs> my planning, lack of planning, whatever you want to call it, it's right. kind of backfiring now. Yeah. And I'm wondering if it was a self-fulfilling prophecy since they all die young, why don't I just do whatever I want? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what all the people did in my blood. Maybe we have this incredible bloodline uh, that actually could live for a long time, except back a couple hundred years ago, one of my uncles died when he was 25. Oh, and Hey, I am, you know, it's like, I'm going to die before I'm 30 and bury a good looking corpse. Yeah. You hear people say that. Yeah. I remember a guy said that to me one time. I went, dude, you're ugly now. Really? Yeah. Come on. <laughs> I think I'm probably going to live to 120 because I was just thinking my mom's 88. I have an aunt that is older than her on my dad's side. So wow. there's, there's, there's longevity on both sides of the family. So, wow. uh, <laughs> I may be around wow. for a while. Wow. Yep.
liferadio.fm, the Mark and Max show, where we've got to fit in another Guinness Book of World oh, Records story well. because we're running out of days in the year, and we need to get these done now. Mark. Uh, let's see if we can wedge in two more before we leave okay. today. All right, here we go. Let's give it what a shot. It's a, it's a major award. Shucks, I wouldn't have known, Dad. It looks like a lamb. The Texas man who holds the Guinness World Record for largest collection of video games said his oh. collection has now grown to 24,268 games. Antonio Romero Montiero, uh, Montiero of Richmond was originally awarded the record in December of 2021. We talked about that when it happened, by the way. And he, well, that's when his collection totaled 20,139 video games. Now, we're not talking about cartridges here, video game cartridges. We're talking about actual video games, consoles, handhelds, oh. things like that. This is I missed that. Yes, this is what he has. I remember that from the last time we talked about him. Wow. Guinness World Records. Okay, yeah. I didn't remember when you were saying that we had done this. I'm like, I don't remember that. Now yeah. I do. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Guinness World Records says Montero, whose collection spans more than 100 video game consoles, now owns a total of 24,268 games, amassing a collection worth an estimated $2.1 million. <laughs> Wow. He says, originally, my collection focused on purchasing and repurchasing some of the games I played in my youth. Slowly, it expanded to include games I always wanted to play but hadn't had the opportunity to, and eventually expanded to completing collections for individual systems. Montero's collection also earned him the Guinness World Record titles for largest collection of Xbox items, largest collection of Sega items, largest collection of Nintendo items, and largest collection of PlayStation items. Wow. If you're going to do something, do it right. You know? Wow. That's pretty cool. I, he's got a collection worth $2.1 million. What does he do for a living? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> how can he, if he's got all these video games, when does he work? Man, I got a feeling we might see this guy on Hoarders in about three years, you know? <laughs> liferadio.fm it's the Mark and Mac show we appreciate you joining us today um there are certain aspects to our life that we we have fun with and mm. it, one of those is thrift stores right. you know and things like that, buying things second third fourth hand yeah i i don't think it's a um i don't think it's a trashy thing to do i like i like going to thrift stores i like oh, no. you know no, I and, mean, from time to time, you find something that's very useful that that actually makes a yeah. difference around the house. Other times, yeah. it's just it's just uh, little items that you wouldn't have normally bought because mm. they cost so yeah. much, and then you run across the right. deal on it at the thrift store, and it's like, oh, I've always wanted one of those. And right, yeah, yeah, and exactly. so. When, and you have bought a lot of things. Mike Eccles has. Mike yeah. put a whole set of uh, golf clubs, Callaway clubs for me, mm-hmm. um, through thrift store shopping. Yeah. And, I mean, it took time, but he did it. And it's a wonderful set of clubs. Yep. Anyway, yep. there are certain things that you should never buy secondhand. And one of those I'm going to throw out there, mm-hmm. shoes. Unless they're, like, brand-new shoes that were used at a modeling thing where they were put on one time. Uh-huh. If you buy shoes used. You realize, and this is for guys, because I know how women are. They're different. <laughs> yes, very. You know, but dudes wear shoes, and we, we're we hard on them. And it's like, if you buy secondhand shoes, you're buying somebody's footprint, you know? Yes. And you're going to put your foot in their footprint. 
something. And you, it's you not said that I'm foot grossed fr- out you by... You said footprint. I think, well, I'm think i thinking foot funk. That's what I'm thinking. I was trying to be nice. Yeah. I was trying to be nice. <laughs> anyway, LaDonna doesn't understand. When she goes to this room yeah. and she comes home and goes, these were really cheap, but they're great shoes. And I just thought maybe, and I'm like, I can't tell her I don't want to wear other shoes. You know, <laughs> I don't want to wear used shoes. Yeah. So I pull out the insides. I mm-hmm. put try to put new ones. You know, any way you look right, at yeah. it, that's what I can. Now I know there's nothing wrong with it, but I yeah, don't like it. I okay? know. You just wash them. Wash them. If you have a uh, yeah. a sanitized setting on your washer, then <laughs> use that. We do. It's funny. Our our washer. <laughs> Speaking of buying things secondhand, I've got a washer, a Samsung washer and dryer, front loaders that I got both of them for fifty bucks. Right. So wow. that's that's it's probably third wow. hand, but you know, I and I put another yeah. fifty bucks into them to get them up and to right. speed but still you know wow. but it's got a sanitized setting and and i have uh, i have i have uh, a pair of sneakers that i bought secondhand that are like they're 130 dollars sneakers and i got them for right oh about a third of that price or, oh, or wow. less you know and i yeah. knew they were uh, so the uh, first thing that happens boom, right in the washer <laughs> yeah <laughs> but well, what brought all this up is there was the thing it said what is something you would never buy right secondhand right there's something to think about uh when you're sitting around with your buddies at lunch today it's a good topic to yeah. discuss uh according to the internet the uh, the top three things um a mattress oh gosh a mat never Whoa, wait a, a minute no. mark a used mattress mm. from a hotel that's upgrading. Oh okay. no, no, yeah. that's that's uh, unless you're <laughs> wanting to use it to start the. You're going to soak it in gasoline and use it as the base for the bonfire. You know, that's no, uh-huh. right? Up next, uh-huh. earbuds. Now, head, headphones are okay, but not earbuds. No. I couldn't even do ear headphones. Yeah, know. yeah, and yeah. and the you know, if if the earbuds have replaceable tips on them then I think, you know, throw the tips away, put fresh ones on or whatever, but no. Uh, And number three, a couch. Never buy Uh, a couch secondhand. Wow. And you may be thinking, why? Well, here's why. Pest control workers say the number one thing that brought pests into homes was used furniture and usually the couch. Wow. Yep. Wow, I didn't know that. So when you, you know, buy into a used couch, you're probably buying a Roach Motel. Oh my gosh! You know, Mark, we bought one. We had uh, Ladonna and I have a neighbor we've known. She's known her whole life. Okay, right. yeah. And um, she was had put some stuff on the marketplace, and Ladonna said, "You know what? We used to have the we had we had the exact same couch back in the day, mm. and we were looking at what we wanted to buy." And I told her, I said, "You know what?" Let's buy that. We'll just keep it for a little while, you know, just uh, for fun. And yeah. we did it a couple of years ago, right before Christmas, to surprise the older kids when they came to visit that we would have this retro look to the house. Yeah. And at least that was my plan. <laughs> I didn't realize that I was bringing in, you know, <laughs> the SS Roach. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm kind of grossed out by the whole thing. Wow. <laughs> liferadio.fm it's the mark and matt show and you know mark over the last month or so we've had a number of bear related stories and you know both of us are we've we've talked about our dogs and you know the pets and things like that and you know i think if you listen to the show for any length of time you know that pets are a large part of our family and our lifestyle and yet 
at no point in time have I ever uh, thought I'd like to hang out with bears. You know? <laughs> um, I see them and I think they're so majestic. They're so strong. You can see the power mm-hmm. in a bear, you know, yeah. to the point where you're looking at him going, he looks like he would be so cuddly and fun, but with one swipe of his paw. He could backhand me into the wall, and there would be like a puff of smoke with my outline. You know, <laughs> that's what it would be. Yeah, so pretty much. I get whenever we have a bear story with a human being, I'm I seriously look at it and think, what would I do? You know, right? Is this here we of, go? Is this one of those stories where they wanted a selfie with the cute bear? You know, is that <laughs> what it is? But no, a North Carolina woman who heard strange noises coming from outside her home was surprised to learn she was sharing her property with a bear den. The wildlife group Mm. Help Asheville Bears said Casey Vandergrift of Asheville contacted the group and reported hearing the sounds of what might be an animal in pain on her property. Jody Williams, the founder of HAB, visited Vandergrift's home and was surprised to discover the bear den in the brush behind the house. Williams said Vandergrift agreed to share her property with a bear for the winter (laughs) And in the meantime, the den will be monitored by HAV to see if the bear gives birth to cubs. Now, that's a little disingenuous. Yeah, agreed, agreed to share yes. her property. <laughs> you know. But, all right, so just because I don't know, I thought bears, you know, like a bear den would be like in a cave or something. I didn't right. really think about them finding a place in the yard, you know, and well, it probably going to town. probably right? is underground. Yeah. Yeah. Like dug out the hole a little bit. Yeah, or you're in a hillside or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Got to get pictures. Got to see this. Yep. But I don't know, man. I I would be fearful because, you know, we know that mother uh, in the woods, mothers take care of their babies. Yeah, with, very protective. You know, yeah. Yeah, they're violent. They are. They are good fellas right yeah. off the bat, man. Yep, <laughs> you know, they are. <laughs> and we're messing with them. We are encroaching on their lifestyle. We're the ones that need to move and get away. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I, they just look like they'd make such fun pets, you know? <laughs> LifeRadio.fm, the Mark and Mac show. And, you know, Mark, when we were talking about your family and the ages and things of yeah. how, you know, yeah. your mother driving, a, you know, a two-hour drive away, uh, you know, at 88, just hopping in the car and going, um, I saw this story and my first thought was there are so different, so many differences with us when we age, you know, you have some people that at 75 really like my father-in-law, he died when he was 73 and you know what people, when they buried him, it would be, he lived a good long life. He, you know, they, it wouldn't be a big shocker. Right. Right. But then you see other people that are in their early seventies that are president of the United States kind of thing. Yeah. So it's just, once you get past a certain age, every the wheels come off the bus at different places for all of us, you know? Yeah. That's and that's true. why when I saw the headline it said 90-year-old woman receives her college degree in Illinois, I thought, way to go, you know? Way mm-hmm. to go. Yep. She was a woman who dropped out of college a few sh- uh, semesters shy of graduation, and she was finally presented with her bachelor's degree at the age of 90 at Northern Illinois University. The DeKalb School announced its graduating class Sunday included Joyce Defoe, she's 90, of Genesio, the oldest person to ever graduate from the university. Defoe enrolled in what was then known as Northern Illinois State Teachers College in 1951 and attended for three and a half years before dropping out to get married and start a family. She returned to the school 
in 2019 and took online classes to complete her Bachelor of General Studies degree, which she received at Sunday's graduation ceremony. She says she hopes her accomplishment will inspire others to finish their educations. Quote, you can't put a value on it, in my opinion. Just don't give up. I mean, if you have the opportunity, take that opportunity, and you never know. A lot of us get sidetracked or whatever, but go back. Good for her. Yeah. Good for her. You know, I'm a big fan of people continuing, you know, with whatever your life's dream is. You know, what what is stopping you? Usually it's us. We stop ourselves. And, you know, she was close to graduation, and boom, now she goes, I think it's awesome. I love it. Love it. Wow. Did I tell you I like this story? I think you did. And now, and now I'm thinking about pursuing my life stream, going back to that again. I wonder where you sign up to be a professional candy taster. Yeah. LifeRadio.fm. It's the Mark and Mac show. And you know, Mark. Yes. Many's the time I've wondered what I would do if I was driving down the highway and I saw a bunch of packaged food, meat and whatnot, but packaged safely, but it's spilling on the roadway. Would Ooh. I hop out there and start loading up the truck or would I just go by and leave it alone and mm-hmm. let them take it to the dump? Wow. It's going to the dump. Okay. Yeah. It's food. It's packaged. It's going to the dump. Nobody's right. going to get this. Yeah. So, and you know, well. we have stories about roadkill that you can in Tennessee that you can take and cook or whatever you need. So here we go. We're Mm -hmm. in North Carolina. And what happens? There's a collision on a North Carolina highway. And that caused a tractor trailer to overturn and spill its load of hams and other Mm -hmm. various meats onto the roadway. The city of Monroe Mm -hmm. said in a statement that the truck carrying a load of meats was traveling on highway 74 when it ran a red light at the intersection Uh, of John Moore road, just before 7 AM on Monday, the truck collided with another vehicle and overturned in a parking lot just off the highway. Oh, so it was on a parking lot. It wasn't on a busy thoroughfare. This Mm -hmm. load spilled into a parking lot. Prime picking territory. (laughs) The overturned truck spilled its load, which included Smithfield hams and other various meats. The drivers of both vehicles were treated for minor injuries, and the truck driver was cited for running a red light. Traffic was diverted for a few hours while the crews cleared the meats from the scene. Wow. (laughs) Smithfield hams, man. That's Well, there's Christmas dinner taken care of. I mean. Wow. Yeah. All right. Yes. You know they come wrapped, okay? Oh, yeah. They're wrapped. They have all kinds of things. Yep. So I'm just wondering, would would they allow you to grab it and, you know, grab and go? I mean, like if we were all jumping at it for a minute. <laughs> grab and go. Yeah, we're helping out at the cri- at the scene of the uh, crash. <laughs> I, I would feel... Hey, hey, you, big guy, this is not a buffet. Move along. <laughs> I'm just saying, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, you know, but, and if, and here we go, Dave would say, you know, instead of wasting this perfectly, you know, mm-hmm. safe ham, it's yeah. all wrapped up. We could give it to the homeless shelter, the food bank, whatever. No, you can't. Dave, you're giving them parking lot trash. Well, I need it. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Kill this. Mark and Mac are back. The Mark and Mac show weekday mornings on life radio. Life radio. FM. FM.